Des Moines. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook at Wild Rose Studios, this is 1460 KXNO. 24-hour sports anywhere in the world on iHeartRadio. This is 1460 KXNO. Welcome back. Into the 11 o'clock hour still to come on the program. We'll get to Zubin Mahente, ESPN Sports Center. He joins us in his regular spot. But as promised, we're going to head west uh, to Mitch Sherman from The Athletic. He covers Nebraska. Of course, Black Friday, 1.30, ball will be in the air, BTN. Uh, Mitch, uh, Trent, and Ken, happy Thanksgiving, first of all. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Uh, weather-wise, Mitch, I guess let's start there because I know Denver's getting hammered as we speak. Apparently that storm or that system is going to move through Nebraska. Will the storm, and I'm not, I know you're not a meteorologist by trade, but what's kind of the consensus? What's Friday going to be like? I do often pretend to be a meteorologist. So it's one of my, it's one of my favorite hats to wear. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys in all of Iowa. And yes, uh, there's going to be some weather impact most likely on this game Friday afternoon. Uh, the, the system that's coming in today, and it's not just Denver, it's like all of uh, central Nebraska and even moving into eastern Nebraska. I think, um, right here late this morning, it's going to be snowing where I'm at in Omaha. So, we're getting it early in the week, and then it's supposed to come back on Thursday and maybe linger on Friday. It sounds like more like rain than the possibility of snow, but it's not going to be real warm. So it's going to be a cold rain, I think, if there is precipitation. Usually some wind uh, around Lincoln on like 355 days out of the year. So, yeah, I don't know that it's going to be. It's going to be like some good, you know, hard-nosed, Iowa-Nebraska football weather. Probably more fitting for Iowa style of play than Nebraska. Well, uh, coming in off a victory, here comes Nebraska. What did the win against Maryland do, if anything? I get some one game closer to bowl eligibility, yeah. and it at least puts that on the table. But can you really read anything against that Maryland team that has completely fallen apart after week two? Yeah, Maryland's horrible. They're terrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like they might be worse than Rutgers. Uh, mm. I think you're well, definitely looking at the two worst power five teams in the country and i know maryland beat Rutgers 48 to 7 in the middle of of that that dark season for the terps uh that began with a lot of promise but i think maryland has just gotten worse and worse every week and the bye week before nebraska somehow made maryland even worse than it, <laughs> than it was when you saw them against ohio state but yeah i mean it does mean something for nebraska for sure first of all it gets the huskers five wins if nebraska had been sitting with four wins uh, like last year against Iowa, it wouldn't have had some of that momentum that you saw in that game in Iowa City where the Huskers were playing well despite the record. It hasn't been that kind of a second half. Of the Started to see Nebraska turn a little bit just in like the, 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 the level of play against Wisconsin. There were some promising things from the offense, moved across midfield eight times in that game, and then just struggled in the red zone. The Huskers did run it really well against the Badgers, which was surprising, especially without Wandale Robinson, who's been Nebraska's most consistent offensive threat as a true freshman. He may be out um, still on Mm. Friday against Iowa. He did not make the trip to Maryland. But, um, you know, look, this team had lost four in a row. Um, It needed a shot of confidence. It had not won by blowout fashion on the road two years under Scott Frost. So it doesn't matter, really, who who the Huskers were playing. They, They felt good about that win. 
They took advantage of opportunities. I've seen lots of games from Nebraska over the last two and three years where it didn't matter how bad the other team was. Nebraska was going to find a way to play down to that competition, and they got over that hurdle for at least one week in, in College Park. Uh, what's Adrian Martinez's status? Might he be as healthy as he's been in some time going into this Friday game? He said we, we know he missed some time earlier and he hasn't yeah. been himself, but he, he looked, and again, it's Maryland, he looks like he's getting close to 100%, Mitch, is he? Yeah, I don't know if it's 100%, but I do. I agree that he, he's as healthy or more healthy than he's been all year. And it's not just the knee injury that he suffered in week six against Northwestern. There was a there was, a, you know, I, I would put it in like the, the conspiracy theory category that Adrian had been hurt all year. You know, he had the shoulder injury as a junior in high school that caused him to miss his entire senior season in Fresno, came into Nebraska as an early enrollee. They kept an eye on that thing. And then it was fine last year. Had a knee injury last year against Colorado, rebounded and played well in the second half of the season from that, and came into this season seemingly healthy but didn't look like himself, even before that injury against Northwestern. He missed the end of that game, he missed the Minnesota game and the Indiana game, came back against Purdue and, and then played these last two weeks after that. And then yesterday, finally, you know, on the on the eve of the, the final game of the season, Scott Frost dropped at his press conference that Adrian has been has been hurt all year. Mm. So I don't know what it was the first six weeks of the season. It's looked at times like it may be arm-related. There's some of the throws that he excelled uh, at, at completing a year ago, some of the touch passes. Um, even last week against Maryland, he threw an interception when he just needed to lost it over the defender's head near the goal line. It's a, that's a throw that I've seen Adrian make, and he didn't make it um, on Saturday despite playing fairly well. Um, something has been bothering him all season, and um, I, it, you have to take it into account, I think, when you look back at this sophomore year. But, yeah, I'd agree, Ken, that these last two weeks he's looked, he's looked closer to the old Adrian than at any point in 2019. This rivalry as a whole, I think it certainly ramped up from the Iowa perspective, going back to Sean Eichhorst and his comments. We had to evaluate where Iowa was as a program after they fired Pelini. Since then, Iowa hasn't lost a football game against them. Uh, very interesting, I saw, I think it was uh, Colin Miller, inside linebacker, had a comment mm-hmm. yesterday about Iowa and that they don't have respect for Nebraska anymore. Some interesting comments certainly coming out there. The rivalry from that side of the river. Yeah, it was like reverse trash talk yesterday from Colin Miller. Yeah. He's the only guy. So Nebraska didn't didn't make any seniors available to the media yesterday or hey. any point this week. Um, I don't think they want a lot of narrative about how, how disappointing this, the careers of these seniors has been that have been. Um, they're, they're more interested in allowing those guys to be able to tell their own stories. And I think you'll see some stuff, not that Iowa fans care too much, but you'll probably see some stuff on the, on the video boards Friday with, with, um, the, the, uh, the end of career comments from those guys, or they hope they have one more game, but you know, end of home career comments for those guys. So it was left to some of the underclassmen, Colin Miller's junior inside linebacker, you know, has not been a talkative guy throughout this season. It's, it's been more is, um, his his mate at the inside spot, Mo Berry, who's a senior and has talked a lot and has has you know said some things that were eyebrow raising. Mo Berry was the guy back in July at Big Ten Media Days and even before that in, in the off season who said it's basically Indianapolis or bust for this team. And obviously they're, they're that's 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 bust. They right. haven't been, they haven't accomplished that. They're not going to accomplish that. I don't know about everything was really really close to the vets from Frost Martinez. 
the other juniors and sophomores who talked yesterday, um, very, very, uh, you know, complimentary toward Iowa, nothing inflammatory except for the comments from Miller, and it was like the lack of respect card is what he played. I, you know, I don't know what that's about. I know George Kittle made some comments on <laughs> Sports Center the other night. I mean, he, look, he's long gone from the Iowa program, so it's hard to evaluate that as something that, that, that you know, as a way that the Hawkeyes feel. But Nebraska's looking for a motivating factor. I mean, they want to ramp everything up. There's plenty of reason to be motivated in Lincoln this week, you know, just because of what's at stake for Nebraska and getting to a bowl game. But, um, you know, they'll always take something extra to throw on top of the fire, and it looks like at least some of the guys or one of the guys is playing the no-respect card. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, it's, it's, I don't think it's really anything that Iowa can get fired up about. It's like, oh, they don't think we respect them. Okay, well, great. I mean, it's not, it's not like we don't respect them. I mean, I, I, I think Nebraska respects Iowa. There's not a guy on the entire roster beating the Hawkeyes. So um, if you can't respect that, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what you're looking for. But um, not, a lot of, not a lot of trash talk or, or off-the-field stuff uh, this week to, to get attached to, I think, really on either side. We'll see what the Hawkeyes have to say today in Iowa City. Uh, last thing for me, Mitch. Mitch Sherman from The Athletic is our guest. Got to get you uh, to opine on the Big Ten collision. The division title will be on the line up in the Twin Cities. Game day is going to be there. Happy yeah. for those Gophers that they finally get the, you know, I know what it was like for the Cyclone fans when game day came to Ames earlier this year uh, yeah. and it's going to Minneapolis, yeah. as you know, for the first time ever. Do you have an opinion, Gophers, Badgers for the West this weekend? Yeah, um, I agree with you, Ken. I'm, I'm happy for those Gophers that they get uh, they get game day. Uh, I know they wanted it badly for the Penn State game, mm-hmm. but it was Alabama LSU weekend, and it just it wasn't going to happen. When I, when I was in Minneapolis for the Nebraska game, they were already starting to look toward that that week and thinking that maybe ESPN would would come there, and I I, I didn't see it happening, and I, obviously it didn't. So kind of a surprise, honestly, that game day is going to Minneapolis. No playoff implications there. Everything in college football is so playoff-oriented this yeah. time of year. Um, you can certainly go to Alabama-Auburn. You can certainly go back to Ohio State for um, the Michigan-Ohio State game. Um, so, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they got, uh, maybe they got tired of, of Columbus uh, last week. But that's really cool that they're going and, and doing this game and throwing this bone to, to Minnesota. I know P.J. Fleck lobbied for it uh-huh. this year. So... I think Minnesota's starting to run out of gas, honestly. And I think Wisconsin, you know, went through that midseason lull, just like stunned by the way things went at Illinois. And then Ohio State is a better team, a much better team than anybody in the Big Ten, I think. So the Badgers, to me, have kind of started to find their groove a little bit again, like you saw early in the year. Maybe not as much on defense, but I think Minnesota, you know, and then there's the revenge factor, too. For, for Wisconsin year. and getting yep. back at Minnesota for what happened a year ago in Madison, I like Wisconsin to win this game. I think the experience um, just on the on the sideline will be a factor, and uh, you know, of course, there's a lot of stake in that one with the spot to uh, the coveted spot to Indy that we we hoped and I know we talked about back in the offseason mm-hmm. would uh, would perhaps come down to this Black Friday game in Lincoln and is instead um, on the line Saturday in, in Minneapolis, and I will take uh, the Badgers to win. And it is the uh, final Black Friday game for the next two years with Iowa and Nebraska. Minnesota takes that spot for the next two seasons afterwards. Is you know after this one is this more an off season topic? The lament or Nebraska fine? They get Black Friday. Whoever shows up, they'll be fine with it. Yeah, I think people want Iowa on Black Friday. Good. That was solely a Sean Eichhorst thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's 
you mentioned him earlier. Yep, he could guy. be like living in. He could be like living in the South Pacific, and it wouldn't be far enough away for some people in in Nebraska and, and in I think in Iowa too. Yep. So he wrecked that. He wrecked that Black Friday thing uh, before he was shown the door in Lincoln. Shortly before he was shown the door in in Lincoln. So Bill Moose has stated that he wants it back. They're getting it back in two years. Frost talked about it yesterday. You know, he enjoys playing Iowa on Black Friday. I think he has a healthy relationship with Kirk Ferentz. It goes back to Frost's time as an assistant coach at UNI. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's unfortunate that this thing has to go away for two years, but that maybe will make it more, you know, a little more juicy when, when it comes back to Black Friday in, in, uh, what, 2022? Not soon enough, Mitch Sherman. <laughs> I look forward to it. Hey, listen, Mitch, thank you for giving us a few minutes here today. Uh, again, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, and uh, hopefully it's a good football game on Friday. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks a lot, guys. Good, good to, talk to talk to you. Mitch Sherman uh, from The Athletic as we take a look at uh, Nebraska-Iowa. What's a bigger game a year from now? Iowa-Wisconsin to end the season or Nebraska-Minnesota? Which game means more? I mean, it's a, it's a long fast forward. We got a lot. We got a lot of. Yeah, let's, uh, let's note to self. Save this one for March. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a good one. That's an um, April topic. Yeah. So let me think about that. Sight one. unseen. You know, Morgan's yeah. going to be back. Mertz is going to. I would assume assume the reins of the quarterback of Wisconsin. Taylor's gone, but it doesn't matter. It's it plug and matter. play there. Ah, good question, Trent. I'll go. With, yeah. Tanner Morgan's going to be back. He's going to be back, but he's not going to have the same slew of receivers. No, we have one. Um, great question. Let's save it. All right. <laughs> do you have it to take? I mean, I guess Wisconsin. I think Iowa. it's Wisconsin Iowa. I do too. They've proved it longer. Mm-hmm. They've been there longer, and you got the top of the heap. You get the number one seed at the top of it with Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. They've proved it for a long time. So, benefit of the doubt. Goes the Badgers way. Indeed. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Zubin Mahente will go around the world of sports, as we always do on Tuesdays with Zubin. He's next as Miller and Condon take you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 14. Oh. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Con in Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. We take you until noon. Uh, busy Friday programming-wise. The Morning Rush will be here at 6. Trent and I will be here in our spot 10 to noon. And then Cyclone Takeover Radio from 2 until 5 while the Hawks are playing. Uh, Sean Roberts, Emery Songer, and Eric Zamora have three hours of programming tailored to the Cyclones with the Hawkeyes busy playing Nebraska over in Lincoln. Let's get Zubin Mahente in here. Zubin, it's the final day of Maction. <laughs> and I'm in mourning. How are you? I am, too. I actually did a couple of weeks of Maction. It was pretty fun, i got to admit. Kind of never know what you're going to get. <laughs> right. Remember doing a game with P.J. Fleck, you know? I mean, yeah. he was in Western Michigan, and there he is. I remember his last game at Western Michigan. Came against Wisconsin. Uh, I believe it was in the Cotton Bowl, and... Now here's P.J. Fleck playing his biggest game of his Minnesota career against Wisconsin. So I guess it comes through nice and even, but when you do those action games, you always flash back to Greg Jennings and mm. P.J. Fleck mm-hmm. and all the great players that have kind of come out or coaches that have come out of the back. So 
I'm kind of with you there, too. I know it's a little tongue planted firmly in cheek because it's not exactly football on Saturday or Sunday, but I took part in a couple of those this year. I got to admit, they were kind of fun. Yeah, I'm with you, Zubin. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it, and I'm going to miss it after tonight. Hopefully one of these uh, games um, is, is going to be close. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up, um, you know, what, what P.J. Flex is going to be doing this weekend because that will lead me to game day. Look, it's going to be cold in all likelihood. Uh, they Again, game day crosses off another destination. What's left Power 5-wise? There can't be many, I wouldn't think, that they've missed. But Minnesota was on that list no longer as of this week. Good for Minneapolis and the uh, Gophers for getting game day in what's a game with huge ramifications, albeit not playoff ramifications. Yeah, my alma mater for sure is not hosted. Uh, we're still looking for our second win. That first one, eighteen sixty. You're still looking good. for a coach. <laughs> That's true. Syracuse as well, as we discussed, Iowa State kind of picked them off back in the day. So this list is getting a little smaller. I, you know, look, I mean, I think this is as good as it gets for the Big Ten from the sense of if I would have said to you five weeks ago or at the beginning of the season that this is actually a compelling game this week mm-hmm. between Ohio State and Michigan. And it is the second biggest game in the Big Ten wow. this week by a mile. Yep. If you look what Shane Patterson's done over the last three games, and I'm not trying to hype a two-loss Michigan team that we know isn't really going anywhere playoff-wise, but he's thrown for 901 yards, 10 touchdowns, and one pick. And that's slightly better than Justin Fields, although I know Justin Fields has played Maryland and Rutgers, so his numbers aren't going to skew as well. But it does say something that for years and years and years, Michigan and Ohio State would be the marquee game on this day just in college football, never mind just in the Big Ten Conference. And here they are taking a backseat to Wisconsin and Minnesota. In the long run, I think it's actually good for the conference. It certainly is. And to get another name, another program out there, we're, of course, getting ready for Black Friday here. Black Friday not going to be part of the ESPN ABC programming, but you know what the numbers are. You know what that number can generate in Nebraska and the national appeal certainly still a big part of it. But next year when it goes away from Iowa, Nebraska, and Minnesota takes the spot, is that something you think that ABC is going to be clamoring for, getting that Black Friday matchup with the Gophers and Cornhuskers? It's a good question. I guess it always just depends where Minnesota is because, you know, it's the beginning of this season. I don't think anybody was clamoring for Minnesota. You know, I just, right. that's just the way that it is. But here they are, the 10-win team for the first time since 1905. They put themselves on the map. If it's sustainable... And everybody seems to think, you know, the opinion on B.J. Fleck has turned a little bit this year, too, for the positive from people that thought he was just a little bit of a salesman and maybe there was just a, not enough uh, substance to that style. But if it continues, absolutely. I think Nebraska's played on Black Friday now for like 30 consecutive Fridays. Uh, so I don't think they're going anywhere. So my inkling is I don't think Nebraska brings people to the set the way that they perhaps used to. But Nebraska is probably the key element the Black Friday game because it's them that's actually basically been doing it for three decades. Having Iowa as the opposition is one thing. Having Colorado as the opposition back in the day is one thing. But my guess is, from a traditionalist standpoint, and oftentimes ABC is a little bit more traditional than ESPN, our research does find that people that watch college football on ABC, casual viewers, not viewers like yourselves or many of your listeners who are avid, a lot of people that watch college football on ABC just kind of watch college football on Saturday. It's like a thing that they do, you know? They don't, they don't watch action on Tuesday like Kenneth myself. They just watch college football on ABC with Keith Jackson and Brent Musburger. It's just something that they do. That's what we find with a lot of our ABC viewers, especially that skew a little bit in the older realm. I'm not saying that casuals don't watch or people don't hop in here and there, but that's by and large been a rule 
for ABC. So my guess is as long as Nebraska is in there, who has been kind of the status quo team on the day after Thanksgiving, I think the rating will probably be fine. Hmm. Uh, Zubin, the uh, the playoff ranking television show on a Tuesday night, this will uh, bring it to its conclusion as well. Uh, Trent and I have gone over this. We don't see a lot of movement from last week necessarily. Obviously, uh, Oregon is going to fall, but we, you know, we consensus-wise, it looks like LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Utah, um, Oklahoma, Florida, Minnesota. So we think we're, and maybe then Baylor at 10, we think 1 through 10 are pretty much set. Uh, do we have it right? I would concur with you. I think at this point it's interesting to start looking at the flaws, not the flaws that would keep you out, but just the flaws that the teams have that may engender a little bit of movement. Like I don't see LSU moving, but clearly you could move the ball on them. As Ole Miss, a team that's probably not going to go to a bowl game or has not had a very good season with a true freshman quarterback showed you can carve them up. Ohio State played a game into the fourth quarter, which is something we previously haven't seen. I think prior to last week, maybe Wisconsin was 10 nothing at the half. I don't think they'd played a game in the fourth quarter until last week, and then Penn State rolls in there with a backup and does some things. I think Clemson may be moving in the right direction, but they might actually get a decent test in the ACC title game, not that they would be challenged, but I think the rest of the conference picked itself up a little bit. Uh, this is actually something Trevor mentioned to me on Maction a couple weeks ago. I like Trevor Maddich, by the way. Trevor Maddich does a nice job. He really digs into yep. the tape like nobody. Yep. And Georgia is having some problems throwing the ball. That's mm-hmm. what Trevor mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago. Um, he has a lot of young receivers, does Jake from, and it's not the chemistry per se, but a lot of his guys aren't running the right routes. And it may not cost you at this particular juncture, but when you play the SEC title game, that may cost you. Into the playoff, it may cost you. We don't know what Alabama's deal is. We don't know how the committee is going to treat the Zach Moss loss. So he talked at the season with 12 straight wins. And always keep in mind, even though, as you said, Oregon is out, the committee's chairman is Rob Mullins from the University of mm-hmm. Oregon. And I'm sure he will go out there to do everything he can to not promote the cause of fellow Pac-12 school Utah. But I think we all know how huge it would be for the conference yep. if they could somehow, as being as maligned as they have been, if they could somehow get themselves into the playoff. And since he doesn't have to recuse himself when talking about Oregon, maybe he'll give a hard push for Utah. So I think everybody's got something here on the line, even if the rankings don't change. Won't be football for you tonight, though, Zubin. It'll be basketball. That's where you're going to be working halftime of the slew of games, Feast Week, as it's called, on ESPN. Last night, Michigan State gets upset yesterday afternoon. The Maui Invitational certainly took a turn there. And Bill Walton, boy, he was was on fire last night. That guy, I don't know what it is. I know some people don't like it, but for me, it's as good as it gets him calling college basketball. Yeah, it's to the point where sometimes, and I watch a lot of their games, and we'll be doing halftime today and just hopping around. And, and you know, I've seen one of my big regrets. I, I saw Pash here, Dave Pash, his partner, in, in, in many games, not all games, but in many games a couple of years ago here. And there are just enough times where you're watching them where I'm thinking to myself, he's in on it. He's just a right. great guy. Yeah. But there's just a couple of times a game where I'm like, I'm not sure these guys like each other right now. There may, there may be something brewing or they'll, you know, high-five each other after the broadcast or uh, I'll just see tomorrow, you know, after they're done at the zeros. But it is just tempting enough to kind of wonder at what point Walton is crawling under his skin. I think 99% of the time they're fun and Dave's great with it and they have a great, great rapport. 
But he's done games with Jason Benetti. He's done games with the Rocky Rocky mm-hmm. Bernstein. A lot of our guys, especially at this time of year when people are all over the place and the staffing is super high because the tournaments are everywhere. We like to joke, Beast Week is not even a week. It's actually longer than a week, but it's the best title that we can come up with. <laughs> um, but there's just enough there with him and Pass where I often wonder how close they might be during the commercial break <laughs> to seeing each other sideways. But I'm going to guess it's all fun and good, but but you never know. <laughs> what did he ask him yesterday? Where, where's Pash live? Arizona. Chandler, Chandler, Arizona. You ever been to Chandler? <laughs> so, Bill, I live there. And then he said, so, yeah. you've been to my house. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Bill he Wong. is priceless. Yeah. Hey, what's the biggest story so far in college basketball, Zubin? I mean, I get it's only a month. I'm not, not even three, four weeks old. Is there a story emerging in college hoops so far? Probably the unpredictability of just who the number one team in the country is going to be. And I think that's probably the best way to bring in the casual fan. I mean, you know, we've had a preseason number one with Michigan State. We've had a preseason number one with Kentucky We've had a couple of losses by the preseason number one. I mean, think about this. Michigan State was the unanimous pre- essentially the unanimous preseason number one with the preseason player of the year has undergone a little bit of tragedy in his personal life. And mm-hmm. here they are. I think they're the first preseason overall number one team. I think I saw this on the Internet. The preseason overall number one team to lose two times in the month of November. That's never happened. And here they are in that particular scenario. So I Probably the battle for number one, not that it's crucial, not that it matters right. here on November 26th, but if you want to have a people open their eyes a little bit, you need Evansville over Kentucky. I totally understand Michigan State could always lose in the Champions Classic. They always tend to um, you know, challenge themselves early. Yeah. I think there's a ton of people that showed a lot of Mike Young love last night. He had been you know, the coach down there prior to Virginia Tech. He had been out at Wofford for 30 years, 17 Crazy. as the head coach. You never know how you're going to get a draw in a tournament, though. So that's, you know, that's splitting hairs with Michigan State. Is it a tough opponent? Sure, but you never really signed up for it like you signed up for it at the Champions Classic. In fact, Michigan State, if I'm not mistaken, is taking on Duke in the ACC Big Ten Challenge mm-hmm. on December 3rd. So that could be a third loss coming mm. by December 3rd. So my guess is it's probably just the instability at number one, Ken. Zubin Mahete joining us from ESPN Sports Center. Zubin, to the NFL. And I know you do a lot of work on Sunday evenings with the NFL. Uh, it's The numbers continue to build. And we saw that dip a couple of years ago and people were freaking out. Now the numbers continue to rise. I saw the Super Bowl sold out their ads for the earliest ever in the history of the Super Bowl. It just it goes on and on and on. What can derail the behemoth that is the NFL? I don't think anything. I think even people are now over some of the uh, rules changes. I think there is some grumbling every week or so when penalty flags are thrown, coaches can't get challenges overturned. That seemed to be like a crisis with the officiating expert, Al Riveron, the guy that kind of runs it now that Pereira and Blandino, John Perry are all on television. I think they've overcome that minor speed bump. Uh, Colin Kaepernick thing is still out there. You never quite know what would happen. But then again, to your point, Trent, the league was rolling after that 2017 dip that you mentioned, and they opened the Colin Kaepernick door. So they probably feel like no matter what ends up happening with this long term, even though it's already gone off the rails with the workout and the venue, even they opened the door to Kaepernick, which could be obviously a sticky situation. And they opened the door well enough to think that this is not going to hurt us either way, whether he signs or doesn't. So I think the short answer is probably nothing. And the bottom line is the league is just putting itself in a position where it's parity-driven focus, where the worst teams get the best picks, there's a cap, uh, the best teams get a first-place schedule, 
it's all worked out because as great as Lamar Jackson was last night, and this is one thing the league really has going for it, as much, and I'm sure you guys saw the chatter on social media and on TV after the game, as much as people were buzzing about Lamar Jackson's five-touchdown game in his debut on Monday Night Football, there were almost as many people asking, what the hell has happened to the Rams? Right. And when you can get a sport, when your runaway number one, out of nowhere, electrifying player is up there for MVP, uh, after a year ago, people thought he, his style wasn't sustainable, and now he's an unstoppable force <laughs> right. in the NFL. Most, there's just as many people wondering what happened to the team that scored six points last night. When your league can equally balance those two things, you know there's interest pretty much across the board. No, no doubt about it. Uh, Zubin, I'm glad you brought up John Perry. I think he does a really good job. I think he's been a big boost to that booth. Uh, he seldom misses. I think that there's been a couple of occasions uh, where he didn't agree with the call that was about to be made on the field, usually after replay. And, you know, for the most part, I think that America uh, saw that John Perry was uh, in the right and we're scratching our heads as how this wasn't uh, uh, overturned or upheld, whatever uh, it was. I don't remember the exact scenario. But John Perry, nice addition to that booth, too. But you know what? He's growing in his role. He's getting more comfortable every week as well. Yeah, I mean, I would say just from an anecdotal standpoint, I think the fans and viewers at large think the problem the league has with the officiating is that the best guys are on TV and not working yeah, for the NFL. Fair point. And I think that's an issue, right, with Pereira and Blandino and John Perry. And I would also say, and I'm not part of the Monday Night Crew at all, we do do some stuff with the pregame and postgame, mostly with Joe pregame. Um, you know, Joe's a great game caller. Booger's an analyst. Lisa's on the sideline. And they have as much time to get in what they need to get in. But if you're John Perry, you've got to slip in between calls. And generally, you're trying to clarify something that is complicated. And you've got the least amount of time of anybody on the crew to do it, and you have to put it in layman's terms so somebody like myself, yourself, and viewers at home that don't have an arcane knowledge of the rule book are able to do it, and he's got to do it in the most specified amount of time between plays, between replays. Everybody else has a little bit more extemporaneous time, but he's probably got to talk about the most complicated things that come up during the course of the game. Only could be a handful of times during the game, but he's got to do it pretty quick and make it pretty incisive and pretty simple, and that's a lot harder than it seems. Zubin, to your beloved NBA, whose ratings are going the opposite direction of the NFL. Are they really? I didn't see that. Yeah, but uh, some news comes out over the weekend from Woj about a possibility of changing basically the whole structure of mm-hmm. the NBA season, an in-season type tournament that's going to happen. Explain that. Did you get? Any, do you know any more about it? it it's kind of like a soccer type style where they have their in-season tournaments. You'll start, it'll be regular season games that will count to that. You'll move forward. Zubin, uh, take us through the parameters. I'm sure you know better than I. Sure. I would just mention to Ken's point about the ratings. I'll just give you a little dip of the numbers. So if you add up all the national games last year, Turner, Tuesday, Thursday, ESPN, Wednesday, Friday, and then later in the season, ABC is like a Saturday night game, which tends to do a better number because it's on ABC and it's more widely available. But last year in total, if you take all the games that were on national television, I believe NBA TV has some games as well. They don't rate as well, but promotionally. But there were 19 total games, 19 total games that had under 1 million viewers. Already this season, and the season is just about a month old, October 22nd was opening night, they've already had nine games that have gone under a million viewers. We're barely, we're a month and four days into the season. The LeBron excuse is there. He plays most of his games in the West. There's been no Zion Williamson. That was incredibly hyped all summer. And that hasn't paid off. And so the league is a little concerned about it. And this might be something to juice the ratings. Silver's been talking about this tournament that Trent talks about 
for a while. They would clip the regular season. They would probably go down to 78, 79 games, which is really not that much of a reduction. It's 82 games. There would be essentially a tournament to try to develop the 7, 8, 9, and 10 spots into doing something competitive. So, for example, 7 and 8 might meet. The winner could end up getting a playoff spot. 9 and 10 could play a home-and-home and it's yet to be determined exactly, and that could fill out the back end of the eighth spot. There's also some discussion about reseeding in the playoffs. If I'm not mistaken, Ken, the NHL used to reseed, but doesn't anymore, True. if I'm not mistaken. True. The NBA is now talking about possibly reseeding, which could you know get to a Lakers-Clippers NBA Finals, which could obviously eliminate the you know 1-8, 1-8. and It would just sort of be a 1-16 through 16 situation where you could have the two best teams in the top-heavy West perhaps play, unless somebody like Boston could break through in the East and, Giannis had 50 last night. Maybe the Bucks will turn the corner. But the idea would be to make it more competitive at the bottom, have it during the season, have it promote a little bit of juice, and maybe stem the load management problem because if in the middle of the season you actually had games that mattered, perhaps teams that were load managing players, even if you're in the eighth spot, if you're Blake Griffin and you're trying to fight and get back to the Detroit Pistons, they're careful with him. Uh, it's not just teams at the top that are load managing. It's really just good key players that are load managing. I think there's a misperception about that. So, Goosing the ratings a little bit, stemming the tide on load management, making the bottom of the East and the West, which are usually pretty awful, matter again, and then obviously reseeding. It's pretty dramatic, but as I mentioned to you before, three or four years ago, silver was all over gambling when everybody thought that was dramatic, and now it's commonplace. Hmm. So it's possibly coming. It wouldn't be instituted until the 2021-2022 season. So it's not like they had to slam this all together immediately, but it's notable. Hmm. Uh, Zubin, are you working Thursday? Not only am I working twice. This is when you know you're big time or not big time. I'm working twice on Thursday. I don't think that generally means you're big time. But we'll see after the Saints and Falcons with Bucci, and we'll have some fun with that. Obviously, a lot of you know college football to talk. It'll be the Egg Bowl. We'll be a college basketball tournament as well. So we'll be with you all along the way. If you're uh, tired of Amazon shopping Thursday night or hmm. not braving it to go to the mall and kill somebody on Friday, and people still go to the mall, I'm not sure if they do anymore. <laughs> But we'll be with you Thursday night after the Saints and the Sox. Zubin, you mentioned you're working with uh, Bucci Grass. Not to throw anybody under the bus, but do you have a favorite a favorite person to work with on a sports center? I'll tell you what. The one guy I wish I could work with, I love all the guys that I work with, and Bucci is actually reducing his work schedule quite a bit because his kids are sort of like Ken's age, your son Ken, and he wants mm-hmm. to see them work. His son's actually a really great golfer. He's actually a Division <laughs> two golfer, and he goes to watch him play all over the country, and so he sort of eased back his schedule a bit. But I would tell you the one guy – I wish I could work with I see him every Monday after he finishes NFL Live, but he doesn't NFL anymore, so I don't think our paths will cross. And I'm more of a night owl, and he's a morning guy with his radio show. Um, but I would one day love to just sit next to Trey Wingo. If you guys mm-hmm. love football. I know you both love football. Wingo loves, yes, loves, he does. loves football. And that's a guy I'd love to kind of sit at the desk with and do a show with. But uh, I think we're two shifts in the night, and uh, he's kind of over that, and he's just become the NFL guy. But uh, if there's one guy I could just kind of go back in time and sit with for one show – I'd honestly love to do it with Wingo, but I think that's probably just a dream at best. Zubin Mahente from ESPN will be all over your televisions on Thanksgiving. Zubin, happy Thanksgiving. Now, is the uh, uh, the famous ESPN cafeteria, will it be open on Thanksgiving? <laughs> they actually cater for us. They nice. It's an unbelievable job, and it's free, and uh, you just badge in. And when you badge in for the day, that's your meal for the day, and they take care of us. And as you might imagine, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, with the addition of that third NFL game, it goes back to the power of NFL question that you mentioned, Trent, that one extra game at night, sometimes it's good, sometimes it isn't, since it was instituted in 06, has completely and totally changed the way that we approach the day. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people actually working, 
and they'll be taking care of us, and we do appreciate it. Zubin, happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. You got it. Take care. Thank you. Zubin Mahente from ESPN. Uh, fun stuff with Zubin, and always very, very knowledgeable as we go around the world of sports with him. Always a fun conversation. If that game stinks on third Thanksgiving night, Ake Bowl. No. Where are you? Oh, Iowa, Iowa, Texas. Yeah, I forgot about that. Jeez, I can't get into basketball. I'm trying, but it's not. I mean, last night it was almost all hoops for me. Was it? You didn't watch the Monday Nighter? It stunk. Yeah, it's true, but it was Lamar Jackson. Yeah, it stunk. Terrible game. argue with that. Unfortunately, the basketball games all kind of stunk, too. Until we got late night into BYU-UCLA. Yeah, by then I was done. But I did watch Vautech Michigan State early. Yeah. Uh, Great for Mike Young, right? Mm 6-0. Wofford forever. Right. And gets that job 5-0 and to start. Here's Michigan State. Got no chance. What was the number in that line? 11 you, and a half. Was it 11 and a half? Yeah. Wow. Uh, we'll come back, finish the program. Miller and Condon until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 14. Keep up with KXNO on Twitter and Facebook. Go to KXNO.com to learn more. From 1460 KXNO. Segment Miller and Condon with you here until noon. Good morning, Sports Station 1460 KX. You this time tomorrow we will be watching Iowa State and Michigan. Chris Williams and Eric Heft have the radio call, correct? Okay, I take your word for it. Eric Heft is there. John Walters is doing football. Mm-hmm. Who would he work with? Brunt? Yeah, Off with the sidelines so. yeah. up in the booth? Yeah, probably, right? Yeah. And then... Where would Bloom go? To the sidelines? Sidelines, yeah. Makes sense. It does. Yeah, makes sense. I think you're piecing it all together here. Uh, yeah, so we'll have hoops tomorrow. What? Uh, I know the point spreads in and out. Find Ken Palm. What was? What is Ken Palm? And let's see how close Ken Palm is to the number when it gets posted. It'll be... That game will probably be posted, what, later this afternoon, I would guess, is when you'll see a Vegas... Uh, start to pop out, but Ken Pomeroy has this Michigan favored by two. It's a pretty tight line. Tight line. Coin flip game. Uh, how does Iowa State handle Teske in the middle? Well, they got three guys they can throw at him now. Yeah, that's true. Solomon Young Teske's and Jacobson and Condit. That's not something Con- you can say very often you know with what? Iowa State teams. The Condit of the three is is the um, no, Solomon Young's having a great year too. But Jacobson's Condit- a great on ball defender too. Mm-hmm. Got three dudes. They're good. Now, Xavier Simpson... Different story. Livers? Uh, no, Xavier Simpson against Tyrese Halliburton. That matchup, two long, mm-hmm. lanky guys. Xavier Simpson, people talk about, you know, they brought in that defensive specialist, and that completely changed him. You know what was more important? And he's down there at Texas. He's done a nice job with Shotgun Company down there. He's a good defensive coach. But you get Xavier Simpson, maybe the best on-ball defender in college basketball... That's going to make your defense pretty good. So that's what you'll be watching tomorrow, that oh, matchup? Yeah. yeah, that's got a chance. we got a lot of good matchups here. This is going to be a fun game. Yeah, it's a, it's a busy week of college basketball. It, it's for, for whatever reason, it's like... Get into it. Come on. I know I'm into it. Just can you give us a week to no. get through football? No. <laughs> good You're excited about crappy Maction. It sucks. Let's be honest. <laughs> I Maction's know, but, terrible. Yeah, it's true, but it's football. And, well, when, there's nothing else on, sure, but now we got good basketball going on. Don't cling to something terrible. I can't do it. I'm not running around on action. I'm talking to somebody that's a Winnipeg Jets fan. So <laughs> right, right now there's a parade in downtown Winnipeg today. By the way, are they really having a parade? For yes, that they yeah. are for the Grey Cup. Absolutely. You didn't you, go, Trent. You know what? Honestly, honest to God, it did not move my patriotic or my hometown needle even a little bit. I told you this forever, and I told you when I saw American football for the very first time, it was an epiphany. 
I was like, huh? This is what it's supposed <laughs> to look like. Right. And I never went back. I don't even know the... And I grew up. I was a sports fan. Right? I grew up on the CF. I, I don't even remember the rules. Three, three minute downs. warning. Yeah, three downs. Three minute warning, not two. The referee wears a black hat. Everybody else is the white hats. As opposed to what we have here. Right. Completely the opposite. The clock stops after every play. Running play or not. Stops. Really? Stops after... And then starts again. It's... Here's the stupidest rule. Clock hits zero. Uh-huh. Game over? Yeah. No. What? No, one more play. <laughs> tick, tick. Three, two, one, zero. Game over. No. One more play. Isn't that ridiculous? An untimed play to finish it's, it out? I, I never understood it. Um, yeah, but good for them. You're good for my hometown. There. Yeah, they sure are. Good for my hometown. But Dozens in attendance me. for the parade. You know what? I, well, who knows? And who cares, quite frankly, in this audience, right? Uh, Murph and Andy will be here at 2. The Fanatics will be here at 4. Um, then tomorrow morning, the morning rush will start it all over again. Thanks for being with us. We're Miller and Condon. 10 to noon on 14.